right. Open up your Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 5. Uh, did you guys get a handout? If you, Oh, perfect. Look at that. Um, I'm going to introduce my team, Southeast Evangelistic team. Uh, if you guys would just stand. Uh, at this time, I will introduce you so you guys don't, and my family. Um, so we have been traveling uh, to college campuses doing the work of the ministry. Bethany, Megan, my wife, and Elijah, Elizabeth, and Abigail in the back. Uh, you guys may be seated now. Thank you. And one of the things that we did is going to college campuses, we wanted to do the most good in the best way the least time. And so as evangelists, we would just go to the colleges with a church and give the gospel. Very simple, right? And I think it was in 2018, I think so, my wife's going to have to correct me, when I wanted to go full-time and sell our house and start traveling. And I actually wanted to keep the house because my wife has a little bit more faith than me. And I was like, well, let's rent it out. And she goes, no, I know if time gets, gets hard, you're going to want to come back and just relax. So let's just sell the house and be done with it. And so we were going to go up to Wisconsin, and they, there was a bus there for sale. And so I was like, okay, we're going to get this bus, travel. I got six kids. This is going to be great. When we got up there, the guy goes, all right, well, you can have this, this bus for $65,000. I said, um, excuse me, I actually thought you were going to give it to me. <laughs> and he goes, no, no, 65000 I said, well, let me pray on it. He goes, oh, and by the way, it doesn't work. I was like, all right, well, I don't know if I have to pray on it because it's, there's nothing we can do. And now we're in Wisconsin. We already sold our house. And I go, Sarah, we're, we're homeless. I, I don't know. What are we going to do? She's like, God will never put you through more than you can handle. He won't suffer the righteous to be forsaken. I'm like, well, then am I righteous? What's going on? I don't know what's going on. And she goes, why don't you pray? And I'm like, you don't think I've been doing that? So I'm like, Lord, I'm homeless. I have six kids. You said to step out by faith. Um, I'm trusting you. And about that time, I think two days later, a first sergeant in the Marines called me and says, hey, Brother Hilliard, are you still traveling? Yes. He didn't know what was going on. He goes, hey, can you do me a favor? I have a mission I got to go on. Can you watch my house in Tennessee for a month? Um, I'll pay you $40 a day. I said, let me pray on it. Yes, yes. (laughs) And uh, we went down there. And from that day on, God has always provided a place for us to be. And we were able to go all the way from Tennessee to Florida to Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, in different colleges, seeing hundreds of people get saved, and God is just blessed. So we're very thankful for the ministry God has done, and uh, praise the Lord that we're able to have other people join who can sing and hand out tracts and and be a ministry to the ladies. So thank you so much for allowing us to be here. We're going to dive right in to Luke chapter 5, and then we're going to go to Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. It says in Luke chapter 5, you guys know it well, beginning at verse number 4, Now, when he had left uh, speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a drought. And Simon answered, said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. Verse 7, and they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, they should come and help them, and they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. And now look at verse number 10. It says, And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, 
which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. Now go to Matthew 4.19, which will be uh, the main passage that we'll start in. And Matthew 4.19, I'll read verse 18 and then get to verse 19. It says, And Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew, Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. See, I got saved December 29, 2001, and it was at a concert. Some of you heard this when we were at the Valentine's Day banquet. But a guy got up in the middle of the concert and says, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're going to burn in hell. I'm like, whoa. I got nervous. So as a wrestler, a person who wrestled in Estonia and Finland and wrestled around at nationals, missed the Olympics by two people, I, I was like, okay, who do I beat up not to go there? Okay, whose spot do I take? Because I don't want to go to hell. And he says, do you want to know what you can do not to go to hell? And I remember there was an older lady over here, a couple of seats over. She saw my concern um, and got the Bible and was trying to show me. She was talking, and I was smiling, but I had no idea what she was saying. And he goes, do you want to know what you can do not to go to hell? I'm raising my hand. I want to know. He goes, nothing. There's nothing you can do. And I remember saying, bummer. I don't know if that was just a word for my day because now there's a lot of other words. But the fact is, is I was like, bummer. This guy ruined my life. I, what am I going to do? I, I'm going to hell. He goes, and God saw there was nothing you can do, and he sent his son to do it for you. Let me tell you of Jesus Christ. And I got saved that day, December 29, 2001. Now, uh, amazingly enough, the reason why I went to that Christian concert was because I was interested in a girl and that girl came down to school with me, and her roommate became my wife. So God has a funny way of working things out. But I remember reading this passage after I got saved, and it struck me kind of in, you know, in a, an interesting way, where it says, And he saith unto them, Follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Now during this time, there were a lot of religious denominations, a lot of religious groups that were more, I would say, pressed to be the people we would pick for disciples. You had the Pharisees, you had the Sadducees, you had the Herodians, you had the scribes, you had the Zealots. All of them thought that they were the chosen people of God to be called of God when the time was needed. Yet, for the most part, God didn't choose any of those people. He chose fishermen. And I thought that really strange, kind of extraordinary, because for me, I got saved later in life, and I thought, there's no way for me to catch up to all those Christians who got saved when they were seven, eight, nine years old. My wife got saved when she was seven. And I'm just not going to learn the Bibles fast. There's over 32,000 verses, and I'm just not going to be able to grasp everything about those verses to catch up to all the people who have been studying their entire life. I mean, Revelation has 404 verses with 800 references to the Old Testament. How am I going to study each one? I'm just not going to have enough time. So what am I going to do? And I thought, you know what? I can be an evangelist. I can be a soul winner. I can be the one who goes out and tells people because I know that. I know what it means to be saved. I know that Jesus Christ saved me from my sin and I'm trusting in him by faith. It's a free gift of God. And it doesn't matter how much more I learn, I know that I could just go and press toward the mark of the high calling, which is in Christ Jesus. And that's where my fervent, my fire, and my, my flair came for giving the gospel. And I fell in love with this idea of giving the gospel. And I thought it interesting in this passage that a carpenter 
is telling a fisherman how to fish. Now, can you, can you think about, uh, you've got an NFL football player and a hockey player comes up and says, you know, you really should throw the ball this way. Would you really listen to him? Now, as a wrestler, if we're, I'm going to be coaching wrestling at our school um, coming up here, and if one of like the third grade girls says, no, you really should do this bladle this way, or the, the cradle should be this way, and, and I don't really think that the, the Granby is done correctly, I'm not going to really listen to them. I'm like, what do you know? Uh, first of all, you're a girl, so you're not wrestling, so just shoo, no offense. <laughs> but in my mind, I'm thinking, what do you know about wrestling? And I thought it interesting how here comes a carpenter, and he says, hey, I want you to throw the net over here and uh, do what I say. Honestly, they must have had a lot of humility to even listen, even if he was a rabbi. I mean, if Nicodemus says, hey, I've been studying the Bible, and I think you should fish over on this part of, you know, Sea of Galilee, you'd be like, okay, well, stick to preaching, because I've been fishing this my entire life, and I know where to catch the fish. And they caught nothing all night, yet they still were willing to throw over the side of the boat. And they caught a whole bunch of fish, but for me, when I was studying it as a young Christian, I didn't see that as the miracle. I, I saw the miracle of... Jesus saying, in your expertise, I was able to catch more fish than you've ever seen or seen anyone catch. And, that's, and I'm a carpenter. I'm a, I'm a rabbi. This is not even my expertise. But what I came here to earth to do was to catch men. And that's what I want to train you in. So if in your field I can be an expert or be better than all the experts, I want to show you what I can teach you in catching men. And that just stirred in me like, Lord, please teach me how to catch men. And so I began to go upon this study of the scriptures on how to catch men. And this passage where it says, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. You guys can go ahead and fill out the first two. Am I following and am I fishing? Because I'm not going to really cover that this morning. But do you see in that verse where it says, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Make you. I was in Salem, Massachusetts, doing one of our outreaches. It was actually a really tough situation where I was doing some open-air preaching, and across the street, a church got turned into a witch museum. And so I could definitely tell that the atmosphere was not my normal smiling faces and good conversations. As I began to do some open-air preaching, a lady put on an actual donkey head and tried to dance around me, trying to say that she curses me. Uh, um, and there was other things getting kind of violent where someone took a car and hit one of the people that was with us. So the police were taking care of them. And I had um, a guy with me. His name was Rich. He was a very quiet fellow, and just like me. <laughs> no, that's not true. Um, and so I, he was my prayer partner, and I was trying to teach him to evangelize because that's what we do. We go to churches. We take people out into the streets and out places to give the gospel so that they have opportunity to evangelize. Now, I came across this guy named Fox, and he had one of those contacts that had a dragon inside the contact. It was really weird, and he had a ring of a skull that had a dagger coming out, so when you were like this, he could stab you. So I recognized my surroundings and saw him, so I took a step back, and as he started to explain to me how much he didn't like me or my God, I said, as I don't know, calm as I could. Can I just tell you about Jesus so your blood isn't on my hands? And as I began to tell him, he got closer. I took a step back. And at the end, he started to yell, scream, swear, and curse, and wanted nothing to do with me or God. And 
And I said, all right, well, there's nothing more I can do. So I turned and started witnessing to someone else. When I turned back, Fox was gone, and so was my partner, Rich. So I, I looked to the pastor. I said, hey, pastor, have you seen Rich? He goes, um, no, I haven't. He went with some guy down that street. I said, excuse me? Um, and did anyone else see Rich? Did it? And I'm starting to get nervous. And so I realized that he's probably dead in some alley. I'm like, I don't need this on my record. Um, what am I going to do here? I mean, I'm going to go into pastor's church. It's like, I've only lost one person. Like, how's that going to work? So again, I, we end up calling the police. The police come down. And after 45 minutes, okay, of stressing out of where is Rich, he comes walking down with Fox and this other lady. And they get to the corner and they they kind of bow their head and they pray. So I walk over because I'm intrigued at what's going on. Now, Fox walks away. He doesn't want anything to do with me. And I said, Rich, what, what happened? Where'd you go? What, what's going on? He goes, I just felt like he needed a coffee. Okay. And so I just sat there and listened to him talk about all the abuse and struggle he's gone through. I'm like, okay. He said, and then this lady showed up and I just told him I'd pray for him. The next day, that girl came to church, and she ends up getting saved. Now, Fox didn't come, but that, that girl came, and I said, you know what, Rich? I couldn't reach that person. He goes, I guess God just used the right tool for the right job. And I said, yes, God made you a fisher of men. And one of the things that I'm trying to say here as we go through the different styles of fishing is you don't have to be me to be an evangelist. You don't have to be me to win people to Christ. Every different personality and character has a way of reaching people that I can't reach. And so it is imperative as the body of Christ, every one of us has that desire to want to win souls to Christ. And one of the great things about it is we get to fish for a living. We get to fish for men. And so what I want to do for the time we have is to show you the different styles of fishing that you can do for men, women, and children in order to win people to Christ. The title of my message is A Fisher of Men. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll dive right in. Father in heaven, we love you, and we thank you for your word. Lord, you're an amazing God that you even decide to use us in giving the gospel. And Lord, though it is a basic truth of trusting in you and receiving the gift of faith by just knowing that you are the Savior of the world, we can give it to every single individual that needs you. Every single one. And Lord, though we've heard it many times, that might be the first time they ever hear it. So Lord, let not the gospel of Jesus Christ become trite or become second rate or become dull. Lord, let it be like a sunset on a warm day where we just soak up the sun and recognize, man, this is an amazing day that I've got to enjoy. Help the gospel of Jesus Christ to be that in our life. Lord, we love you so much, and I ask that you allow us to see that all of us can be fishers of men. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so we're going to dive into different uh, styles of fishing. This is a very basic message. I hope, uh, obviously, put the cookies on the bottom shelf because when you're dealing with evangelism, you have to find different ways to share the same truth with other people. And one of the things, as a fisherman, I love fishing, that I realized that God must have not done this by accident to choose fishers uh, to be fishers of men. I mean, I love the idea that he didn't choose the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the scribes or the Herodians or the Zealots, all people who probably knew the Bible better than Peter, he chose fishers. 
okay? And so you recognize this. What are some different styles of fishing? Well, number one, fly fishing. Turn to Philippians 1, 15 through 18. You're like, what does Philippians 1, 15 through 18 have to do with fly fishing? Well, I'll explain in a second. But in Philippians chapter 1, 15 through 19, you see a situation happening with the preaching of the gospel. It says in verse 15, some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set forth as a defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. So one of the things I want you to grasp in this is recognizing that just because someone doesn't do the same way of evangelism as you doesn't mean they're not evangelizing. See, in fly fishing, fly fishing is not my favorite type of fishing, okay, where you have the fly on the end and you're in the stream and you just slowly kind of make that, that whip of, of the rod and it, the fly just lands nicely on the water as the salmon's watching it, looking up like, what was that? Wow, that was pretty nice. And it kind of stares at it and then it comes back and you do it again and you land it right at the same spot, if you can land it at the same spot. I can't. Maybe that's why I don't like it. But the whole point is, is you just continue to try to entice and enjoy the moment while you're in the river, probably up to knee deep, and you probably have two or three hours trying to catch the same fish. Boring as all get out. But some people love it. Maybe that's what you do when you're retired. I don't know, because I'm not retired. But you do that, and then you catch that fish, and they say it's really enjoyable. You know, This is the same type of fishing of evangelism that you find when you're trying to reach your families, your friends, and your neighbors. You see, for me, if I was to go to my neighbor and stand with my Bible and say, the Bible says, and I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, it's the power of God unto salvation. If I did that, they'd be like, "Um, I don't know if I want to be your neighbor. (laughs) You know, it might not be the greatest way to win them for Christ. You know, so you might go over to their house and bring them some cookies or maybe invite them over for some board games. Maybe you spend some time watching their kids so they can go on vacation. And you're spending time with them, breaking down that barrier of being a stranger and having the opportunity and the right to be heard. And then a time comes because when they invite your kids over and you pray over your food and you can't do anything on Sundays because you're at church, they recognize that you are different, that you're one of those religious people. And maybe they go through a tough time, maybe um, a divorce or maybe they lose a job or uh, they lose a loved one. And they said, hey, can you, we know that you're religious people, can you pray for us because we're just going through a really tough time and and we know that you're religious people and and, uh, we need need something because we're hurting. And you say, yeah, well, why don't we pray right now? And before you know it, you're giving them the gospel And they're listening without reservation because you put in the time to give them the opportunity to come to you. You know, that is a good way to reach your neighbor. Or maybe you get saved and your family's not saved. And unlike me, when I got saved, I came in like a bull in a china shop. Like, you're all going to burn in hell. I mean, you're on your way to hell, you're on your way to hell, and you're on your way to hell. But if you listen to me right now, you can get saved. They're like, you're crazy. But I didn't know anybody. I just knew that passion. I wanted to give them the gospel. But if you're trying to reach your family, maybe it's more like fly fishing. And maybe that's more your style. You don't have to be 
saying 300, 400 words a minute in order to reach someone for Christ. God is making you a fisher of men. So are you reaching your neighbors? Answer your questions here. Am I reaching my family, my friends, and my neighbors, yes or no? If you're not, then, all right, Lord, um, help me to do so, or maybe I have another style of fishing. But will I commit to reach them at least once this month? A little bit of conviction there. Bass fishing. Who here has ever gone bass fishing? Okay, do we have, okay, good. I got some hands in the back. This is great. A bass fishing is where you have a small boat with some big engines, and you are flying across that water, and you're not anywhere for much more than, I don't know, 35 seconds. You, you cast, okay, that's a perfect spot. There's weeds, there's trees, there's logs. I'm sure there's a bass there. Oh, okay, I, nope, let's go over here. Okay, we're over here. Zoom, okay, let's try it there. Oh, yeah, got one, got one. Put them in there. All right, that person, that's my fishing. All right. Where you go to different places, college campuses, neighbors, streets, and you are giving the gospel to many different strangers. For whatever reason, God has made it easy for me to talk to a stranger, and within two to three minutes, me and them felt like we've known each other for five weeks. And then by the time we know it, I'm able to give them the gospel. Now, there was one situation. I had it one track left. We were in Phelps. There was this really big black guy, and, and he was standing there, and I had this track that says, you're going to hell. You can't give that to everyone. You can't go up to, like, an older lady and say, hey, you're going to hell, have a good day. You can't do that. So you have to be kind of, you know, um, I don't know, kind of be strategic. So I went up to this guy. His name was Daniel. I said, hey, how you doing? He goes, what's up? I said, hey, you're going to hell. I just wanted to let you know. And he looks at me. He kind of smiles because he's, he realizes he could squash me, right? And so we began to talk, and I began to explain what I meant. And the pastor comes over in Phelps, and the pastor was able to lead him to Christ. And at least for the two Sundays that I was there, Daniel was there. I don't know where he is now, but he ended up receiving Jesus Christ as a Savior. And it was just a stranger that I met on the street telling him about Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you, it's quite amazing when you get into situations where you see God do works with a stranger because you realize it's not you. I mean, I just met them. Why would they believe anything I have to tell them? Yet the Holy Spirit will reprove them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And I had been in situations where the person I was witnessing to wasn't the one that was reached. We were in Las Vegas, and we door knocked on 185,000 doors that summer. There was 15 of us, so we were hopping. And we were, we were giving the gospel to so many people to where I was like, well, I'm getting kind of tired. I'm getting kind of hungry. It was lunchtime. And so I saw some teenage people there and some young kids. One was seven, one was eight. If you're at camp, you know the story. And when I was there, I didn't want to not talk to them, but I really didn't want to talk to them because I'm hungry. It's lunchtime. So I said, just drop me out of the car. And so I get out and I said, hey, hey, guys. I start running to them. Hey, I I got a track for you. Um, I I just want to hand this out to you. Now the girls, they go, hi. Like, hi, well, I'm, I'm a preacher of the gospel, and I just want, oh. I was like, yeah, yeah, okay. Well, can you just take this, um, and, and we have to go to lunch, but just read it, and whatever it says to do, uh, follow it, because it lets you know how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. It tells you the greatest things you can see in life, where we came from, why we're here, and where we're going. All right, so have a good day. I go back and get lunch. When we got back to that area where I was supposed to be handing out tracts, I saw all the tracks, not only the ones that we gave them, but the ones that were on the doors, they ripped up and threw into the street. 
I was livid. Um, so I'm like, oh, Lord, just give me another chance to talk to those people. And I go around the cul-de-sac, and I see them on the front yard of this house. So I quickly go to the different houses. I'm, okay, I'm trying to get to each house. I tell my team, hey, why don't you go over here? I want to get to that house. I'm going to talk to an adult because these kids, man, they're just awkward. So I go to that person's house, and the girl goes, I wouldn't do that if I were you. And so I walk up and knock on the door, and she answers, good morning, ma'am. She goes, do you not see the sign? No soliciting. I don't want you or your God. Get off my property before I call the cops. And I hear the kids laughing in the background. Embarrassing. Why? And so I did again what I had done with uh, others, and, and she's like laughing. I told you. And I said, Do you mind if I just take the Bible and show you from the scriptures the good news of Jesus Christ so your blood isn't on my hands when you go to hell? And she goes, Sure. And so I'm opening up, showing her from the Bible. She goes, Uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. Like, oh, maybe I could teach her how to turn the other cheek. That's a scripture verse. <laughs> I didn't, but I thought it. Um, Confession time. Um, as I was going through the scriptures, I went through, I said, would you like to receive Jesus as your Savior? She goes, no. Bye. I'm like, God, why? Like, why did I put all this time into this person and them not get saved? As I was going down the steps, one of the kids, his name was Scott, he was eight years old, he grabs uh, my shirt and he tugs at it. He says, sir, can I get saved? I said, Yes. And I open up the Bible, and he ends up receiving Christ, and our bus ministry was able to pick him up. And for the entire summer, I sat next to Scott. One day when I get to heaven, I'm going to see a grown man. He's going to touch my shoulder. He's going to say, he's going to hug me and say, do you remember me? I was Scott, the one that you witnessed to and told me about Jesus Christ. And so, though they're strangers, bass fishing is a wonderful way to give the gospel to people, and which we'll talk more about tonight. But in Titus chapter 1, if you would, turn to Titus chapter 1, verse 5. In verse 4, it says, To Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou should set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city, as I have appointed thee. I always saw Titus and Timothy more like evangelists, because you look at Titus, or at least Titus, okay, most pastors, you know, they, they go to a church and they stay there for 50, 60, 70 years. You don't really see them traveling from city to city to city, planting churches, winning people to Christ, and, and ordaining elders and moving to somewhere else. And so, you know, I know we call them the pastoral epistles, but man, it always encouraged me whether he's a pastor or an evangelist, that he was willing to travel outside of his own church or wherever he was and go from city to city to city, appointing people and ordaining elders in every city. That encouraged me because that's exactly what I was doing. I was traveling from city to city to city, from church to church to church, planting churches in Big Springs in Indiana. We planted a church, a heaven-bound Baptist church in New York, and we were just going from place to place to place, planting churches, winning people to Christ, seeing people saved, and I was like, God, you can use me in this way. Though I'm not pastoring a church for 50 years, what I am doing is winning people to Christ. I'm still being used of God. And it encouraged me as an evangelist. So I ask you, brethren, are you handing out tracts to strangers? Bass fishing might not be your strongest suit. Maybe you're not like me, but you can hand out a track. So my question is, are you handing out tracts to strangers? 
Are you leaving it at gas stations? Are you telling people about Jesus Christ when you go out to the restaurants? You're asking your um, waiter, what can I do to pray for you? And seeing what kind of conversations it might um, ensue. Will I commit to hand out one track a week? See, a lot of times when we get studying the Bible, we can get caught up in studying dispensationalism or eschatology or ecclesiology and get so far down this rabbit hole that we forget to do the main thing. And you have to ask yourself, have I gotten so far away from the thing that caused me to be a child of God where I am following Christ, am I now leading people to that first step again? And so that is something that we can't forget. And a lot of times when I remember talking about the Romans Road, which I almost actually preached this morning, the Romans Road we know well. But we know well because someone led us through the Romans Road, or at least through the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when you start to realize you don't need to just know the road well. You need to have good directions. When, in my home, I lived on 7368 Lake Road, Sodus, New York, 14551. And I could tell you not just the roads, Maple Ave, but I can tell you the trees and the buildings and the type of cars that are in the driveway. When I moved to a different house, I'd say, we live near Bay Road, and our house is blue. Good luck. Because I have no idea even the road I live on. Because I've moved. The problem is, if you walked through the book of Romans as a Christian, could you say, man, Romans chapter 1, I know well, the judgment of the Gentiles is seen, and he says that the invisible things of God are clearly seen, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. But then chapter 2, you see that he focuses on the Jews and says, hey, Jews are also judged because the name of the Lord is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as is written. And then in chapter 3, he shows that not, it's not just Jews and Gentiles, but all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. How well do you know those verses in chapter 4, in chapter 5, in chapter 6, in chapter 7, chapter uh, 9, 10, and 11, about Israel being chosen, frozen, and thawed because of where they are in the walk with Jesus Christ? You are supposed to know every building upon the Romans road, because you guys are the masters of the topic. You guys are the experts of this field. Yet sometimes when we get out and we're evangelizing and someone asks a question, we might know Romans 3.23, 6.23, Romans 5.8, Romans you know, 10.9 and 13. But when they start asking us some other questions, we start to freeze up because we didn't think that this was important enough to study and prepare for as we become fishers of men. One of the things I realize as a Christian is I never want to know so much where I stop knowing Christ winning people to, to, to him. I, I, I never want to get so much where I know that Matthew has 28 chapters, 1,071 verses, and over 23,000 words, and that's where I focus on rather than can Jesus Christ still save that person. And as, a, as an evangelist, this is where my heart beats. This is where I live. And so this is what I want to make sure as a body of Christ because I myself cannot win everyone because God has made you to be a fisher of men. I will come across people I cannot reach, but if you're there with me, they can get saved because you are the tool God wants to use to bring people to him. The question is, are you? Are you, with what you know of Christ, bringing people to know Christ? Are you a bass fisherman? Are you handing out tracts? Next, uh, trolling. Turn to Mark chapter 6, verse 34. Mark chapter 6. What time do I have to end? I don't have my glasses, so I'm just pretend that I know. 
Okay, let's say 10 till, right? Sure. Someone cough really loud when I get close because I, I can't see it. <laughs> I set myself up for that. I deserved it. That was good. Coughing all over the place. Got it. All right. Mark chapter 6, verse 34. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were sheep not having a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. One of the things I realized about trolling, my dad was a charter captain, is when I would get up at 4.30 in the morning, we would have 10 rods out, downriggers, and we would have some at 300 feet, 150, 100, 60, and 30, so that we could catch fish at different levels. Do you know one of the hardest things about being a pastor I pastored for eight years. One of the hardest things about being a pastor is trying to reach so many people at different spots in their life. And that is, it's actually quite a difficult thing because some people, they want the meat, right? And then other people are like, I'm lost. Then you, there's times I preach such a simple message like this, and they're like, wow, that really hit me the way I need it. And so one of the hard parts is you could talk about very deep things or you could talk about very shallow things, and it will reach different people. And I realized that as a pastor, that this is a very difficult thing in one sermon to try to decide who I can reach during that time. And so they have to have some points that hit on cookies on the bottom shelf, some points that put some meat. So they have a lot of different fires where they're cooking you know, steak over here while they're boiling milk over here. And they're trying to get all this so that many people can be fed from the preaching of God's word. And that is a very difficult thing to do. It's the same in giving the gospel. There are some people who know a lot about your religion of Christianity. There are some that are Muslims, some that never even heard the name of Jesus. I remember coming across a guy down in Florida, and he, uh, his family, he was a Chinese guy who, when I, I said, so what's your name? He goes, Chris. I left. He goes, what's so funny? I go, I just didn't expect your name to be Chris. And, you know, he thought that was funny. So we were having a conversation, very not politically correct, just so you know. But we were having a blast. And he goes, why well, follow Buddha? And I said, okay, what about Buddha? And Buddha was a good person. This is this. I said, okay, let me ask you a question. Buddha was a good person. I go, okay. Do you think he was good enough to get to heaven? Oh, yes, yes. Do you think he was perfect? No, he wasn't perfect. Well, see, according to the Bible, the only way to get to heaven is perfection. He goes, oh. I said, yeah, that's the only way to get to heaven. So if that's the case, where do you think Buddha went? He said, I went to hell. I said, well, actually, we would all be going to hell. But this is what makes it so great. See, well, I'm not trying to talk to you about good people. Maybe Buddha was good. I have no idea. don't know the guy. But I know he wasn't perfect. But I know this. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It includes you. includes Buddha. But there was one who was perfect, and he died for the sins of the whole world. His name is Jesus Christ. And that's what I'm sharing with you. Can I tell you how you could have him as your Savior? And it was an opportunity to talk to him who never even heard of Jesus. So I know not all of you are preachers, but as a preacher, let me ask you, when you're giving the gospel, are you trying to reach those who are Muslim, Catholic, Mormon, or Jehovah Witness, those who have a religious background who think that they're right? Or are you trying to reach the person who just doesn't know how to get to heaven? How do you learn to put the different levels of the gospel so that they can understand? That's the important part of those who are fishing this way. If you're a preacher... You should be studying and saying, God, help me. If I come across a Mormon, and a Mormon thinks that he's right, and I say to him, listen, you believe that you're going to be a God one day. 
But according to Isaiah chapter 43, it says, there was no God before me or after me, saith the Lord. What do you do with that scripture verse? Is the scripture verse right or are you right? And, and, and have them face an opportunity where they have to decide, okay, maybe I have made a mistake in my doctrine. You have to come across that idea when you're preaching that if you see a Catholic, rather than veering away because you don't want to offend them, you may have to say, listen, all right, it's not by good works. It's nothing that I have done. The Bible's made it very clear, clear, not of works, lest any man should boast. And I always try to go this route as, as an evangelist. And if you're out soul winning, which we'll talk about tonight, because actually tonight is covering probably the hardest thing that people struggle with soul winning. Uh, it's by far the hardest thing out of all the people that I've talked to. But if you're going to talk to someone, maybe instead of telling them that they're wrong, you got a Catholic who believes they're saved by good works. Say, okay, sure. What good work is good enough for you to get to heaven? And then they say, well, if you go to church, how many times? What happens if I went to church 50 times, but then I stopped going to church? What happens if I go, well, well, if you give money? Okay, what happens if I gave a million dollars, but then I shoot someone? So when is good good enough? And you, the thing is, people who have a position usually have not thought it through. Like even an evolutionist, if you start talking to evolutionists and you say, all right, so you believe that the, you know, nothing exploded. <clears throat> I always, when I'm arguing in evangelism, they say, I believe in the Big Bang. I say, who pulled the trigger? <laughs> you know, I just, just want to know who is the one who made the Big Bang go. You know? Now, of course, we don't believe it, but the whole point is they never thought it through. And you say, okay, you, you believe the sun shot down on water and made an amoeba, which made a monkey, which made a man. Okay, fine. Uh, was well, it male or female? Well, it was male. Male, yeah, definitely male came first. Okay, so after that happened, how did the sun go, hmm, yeah, that male's not going to live very long as a monkey. He needs a female monkey. And so the sun goes, hmm, I need to shoot a different ray on that water to make a female amoeba. So that female amoeba wants to get out and become a female monkey, to become a female man. That's just dumb. Yes. Yes, it is. But that's what you say you believe. It doesn't quite make sense. You recognize that they haven't thought it through. When you're preaching and you're trolling at different levels, the question is, are you proclaiming the gospel as you preach? Are you seeking opportunities to preach the gospel to multitudes? Jesus Christ did. Jesus Christ preached to multitudes. Jesus Christ, when he found out that John the Baptist died and he wanted to get alone and pray, the multitude followed him. He got in a boat and he traveled. They followed him. And when he got there, instead of saying, guys, go away. I'm going through a hard time. I'm struggling right now. He had compassion. He fed the 5,000. He preached and taught them. He sends his disciples away to go on the water. And then he decides to pray and be alone until all hours of the night. Because even though he was going through a hard time, he saw compassion on the people and he wanted to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to them. The question is, as preachers, do we? When's the last time in your message, in your preaching, you preached Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world? And will you commit to find opportunities each month to preach as God leads? Lastly, I want to hit on ice fishing. If you turn to Luke 19.10. You say, Aaron, these verses don't exactly talk about fishing. I I agree, Uh, 100%. I I recognize 
uh, expositionally, that's not what I'm trying to convey. What I'm trying to convey is when God says, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men, he didn't just mean disciples were the ones who were supposed to be soul winners. He meant the whole body of Christ. The Great Commission is still the Great Commission. It's not less because it's 2,000 years later. And I recognize that when we study the Bible, we, we want to study to feed ourselves, and, and we should be feeding, and we should be growing. Uh, every day, you should love God more today than you did yesterday. You should be seeking holiness. You should be seeking putting on the whole armor of God. Your loins good about with truth. You're trying to put on the breastplate of righteousness. You're recognizing that you have the shield of faith and the, uh, the helmet the, uh, you know, that you're putting on uh, of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. I get that. As Christians, you need to be studying to show thyself approved unto God. The question is, with as much have you studied, how many more people are getting saved? Because the Great Commission is still the Great Commission. And when someone says, what must I do to be saved, are you the one that God's looking for to lead them to Christ? Because I know, I've already tried, I can't lead everyone. Because some people don't want to listen to me. But they will listen to you. Maybe because you're a female. Or maybe because you listen and take them out for some coffee. Maybe because it's the way that you explain things. You know, my wife, she has a voice where people like to hear what she has to say. Her words have weight. And so when she would talk, um, I would try to explain it. They're like, let her talk. I'm like, okay. (laughs) And she'd be explaining it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, and this is good. No, let her talk. And, And people wanted to hear what she had to say. Her words had weight. She didn't talk a lot, but what she said meant to those that were listening. And there are people like that. You want to hear what they have to say. Maybe you're that person. And God's wondering, are you being willing to be used of me? God's saying, are you being willing to be used of me to win people to Christ? Ice fishing, Luke 19, verse 10, and I'll be done. It says, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. I look at this passage dealing with Zacchaeus. And not many people liked Zacchaeus because he was chief among the publicans. All right? He was one of those that you probably would hope that he wouldn't get saved. And there are people in the, in the political arena. I remember a friend of mine, Matt, um, he said, I want to witness and give the gospel to the politicians. I said, good luck. I said, some of those, man, they, they need the buffering of Satan. And he goes, no, they need Jesus Christ. And he had a compassion for them. And I'll tell you, listen, it's difficult for me to think. I I mean, if you start to, I I think I said it this way. If someone came in and hurt your family and took away your family and your family died and then you saw them later, could you give them the gospel wanting them to get saved? Yeah, you want justice. Yeah, I get that. But would you want them to get saved? Because here's the thing. Apostle Paul he actually killed Christians. Could you imagine in this church, someone says, hey, um, can you pray for us? I said this at the Valentine's Day banquet, but you know, could you pray for us? Um, our daughter died. She was taken prisoner, and she was killed uh, by this guy named Saul. Um, just pray that um, our family can recover. Sure, let's pray. A couple years later, the, the you know, pastor gets up and says, we have good news. We have an apostle coming. We have a great preacher. He's going to come on down. He's going to give us the word of God from the man of God. Come on down, Paul. And you realize the guy who's coming down was the one who took your daughter and killed her. Would you listen? 
could you pay attention? Or would you be bitter? Would you have a heart filled with complaint to God? Because he led Paul to the Lord, to himself, the one who took away your child. Would you want to witness to that person? Personally, no, I would not. I'm being honest, I would struggle. Um, I'm not there yet with that unconditional uh, love that God has shown to all mankind. Maybe you are, praise the Lord. But I would struggle. And there are some people, when I think of ice fishing, you get up at 4.30 in the morning, you get on that ice, and it's bitter cold. It's biting you as you're walking out. You're like, this is so much fun. I love fishing. <laughs> and you, then you have to take this auger, and you have to make a hole in the ice that you're standing on. Hope that it holds. And you have to work, and now you're sweating. And then you're there, and you're fishing. This is the best thing ever. I hope I catch a perch. <laughs> and it's hard. It's hard fishing. Some people love it, but some people don't. When you try to witness to homeless people, people who have hurt your family, politicians that's hurt our state and our government, it's not easy to want to give them the gospel. I want to ask you a question. Are you reaching those that others have given up on? Do you have a gift, a talent, so when you see someone who's homeless or someone who's hurting that people don't even want to be around, don't even want to touch, that you want to help, do you have that gift? Not everyone does. Well, everyone should be loving. We are. We just don't have that type of fishing. It's hard for us to do it. Not that we shouldn't. But if you are gifted in that area, God wants to use you. Because some by fear... Some by compassion. Jude makes it clear that some do it in different ways. The question is, are you one of those people? And you say, you know what, Aaron, I am. I have this compassion for those that others have given up on. Then have you reached any in the last month? Will you commit to reach at least one person a month in this type of lifestyle? The Bible says we are the church, the body of Christ. doesn't matter if you're the hand the finger, the toe, or the foot. Without you, we're incomplete. We need as a group, as a body, to be willing to go forth and win people to Christ. The Bible says the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. The question is, are you willing to go? I pray that you are. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you be with the morning service. I ask that you be with this message, Lord. This was a very, very simple message of just helping your brothers and my brothers and sisters, your children, know that to be an evangelist, they don't have to be a street preacher. They don't have to be a pastor. They don't have to be called to the church. They just have to be a Christian. And Lord, I pray that they recognize the fun it is to fish the way that, that they might enjoy. Maybe they are going to reach their neighbors because that's the way that they love to do it. They, they love spending time and breaking down those barriers. Maybe they want to go talk to strangers because um, they're that type of person to start conversations. Maybe they are preachers who they've been preaching a lot of doctrine, but Lord, they also need to preach the doctrine of Jesus Christ and salvation, and you have convicted them to do so. Maybe they have a heart for those that others give up on. Father, I struggle with that. Help me to have a bigger heart of compassion 
But Lord, if there's someone here who has that talent naturally, Lord, let them see the need that we need them. We need them to reach people. We need them to say, I will go. Here, my Lord, send me. I am the one that has that compassion. I'm the one that you have, who have used in the past, and I want to be used in the future. Lord, help me be that child of God that leads those people to Christ. Father, help us all here to be fishers of men. In Jesus' name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen.